Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and today, August 18th, 2020, marks 100 years exactly since the passage of the 19th Amendment. And that, my ladies, is why we are allowed to vote here in the United States. Women fought for the right to vote for decades. It is one of the longest social reform movements in American history. And odds are you probably know about some of the women who fought for that, right? Women like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. But there are lots of other women, especially from marginalized groups who helped fight the good fight, who aren't necessarily remembered in, you know, our high school history books. The author of a new book is hoping to change that. Her name is Victoria Chambers, and she is a senior editor at The New York Times. She and some other Times staffers teamed up to write a new book called Finish the Fight, The Brave and Revolutionary Women Who Fought for the Right to Vote. Veronica is with us now from New York in the midst of a thunderstorm. Veronica, hi. Hi, thank you so much for having us. I am... (laughs) Royal. You can can speak in the royal way, I like (laughs) it. Um, So... Essentially, what you've done here is you've framed suffrage, women's right to vote, in the context of a lot of um, other important social movements in U.S. history, right? Things like abolition and Native American land rights and immigrant workers' rights. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So when we first started thinking about suffrage a little bit over a year ago, um, we asked ourselves, what do we know? And what came to mind immediately was Susan B. Anthony Susan B. Anthony Dollar, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Um, Some people mentioned Alice Paul. And then it was just kind of like sitting in a room with everybody looking at each other going, we all went to school, but um, (laughs) not remembering a lot more. So the great thing about being a journalist, as you know, is that you get to ask a lot of questions. So we actually sent out a survey to about 30 historians, writers, curators who wrote specifically about suffrage, voting rights, women's history, and said, what do we not know? And that Mm. became the basis of our project. And then in some ways, it's complicated, but this is nerdette, so we can get nerdier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Let's do it. (laughs) First of all, history is murky in the 19th century, as you know. And then the archives of people of color is super murky. There's a lot of recording of what was done to people, but not always what people did. And Uh so basically what the upshot of it all was that Suffrage history is really shorthand for women's history, and that suffrage dovetails with everything that touches American life from 1830 to 1920, and then really through the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So this is a kid's book, but I mean, it's it's not just like big pictures and five words a page. Like, this is still dense. You're not dumbing this down. You've obviously researched the hell out of it. Why write a book for kids? 
part of it was going back to our younger selves and thinking, what do we wish we'd been yeah. taught, you know? And so I think we thought that would be a great way to start. You know, I think a lot of journalists, when you're trying to interview people and report stories, you often say, explain it to me like I'm a 10 year old. <laughs> and so what we did is we thought we'd start with our own like sort of deep dive into suffrage as if explaining it to ourselves as if we're 10 year old, 10 year olds. And wow, you weren't kidding. There is a storm happening over there, huh? Yeah, I think it's the spirits of suffragists past. <laughs> I love it. They're still making trouble. <laughs> but you have to kind of know a lot to condense for kids. And so as we go into the coverage that we're doing at the times now, it's really great because we got all this kind of in our heads and really as great background. Totally. So one story that I, I mean, there were a lot of stories in this book that I had never heard about before, but one that I thought was really fascinating, especially given the context of Rosa Parks was Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. Yes. Um, she is so funny how, you know, if you become like a total history nerd, you sort of start to get history crushes on people. <laughs> but Frances Ellen Watkins Harper was one of our favorites. So, yeah, in the 1850s, someone asked her to move seats in a streetcar. Yes. And she refused. And it it's interesting because what you start to see is that there are all these um, ripples of the the things that we come to know, like the Rosa Parks refusing to give her seat up on a bus. Right, because I feel like that story, yeah, you know. That all starts a yeah. hundred years beforehand. You have these really um, smart, well-educated women who are saying no. And sometimes it ends really poorly. Sometimes, um, like Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, you know, says with pride, I rode as far as I wanted to go and then he wouldn't take my fare. So she threw it on the floor. (laughs) So, you know, but I also think what's heartbreaking about her, she's someone who was kind of like just the ultimate, like kind of bookish woman. And then when, when she learns about a free black man who's captured and sold into slavery, she realizes that she has to, she, she just can't confine herself to the page she has to become an activist Mm -hmm. because because it's needed and the human Mm -hmm. rights element is so large and and i think that's an interesting thing i think for young people to see but you know to really realize there's an evolution of leadership sometimes people don't want to make that choice but they feel like they just can't take the injustice anymore which i think has interesting parallels to the moment that we're in and what we saw this spring with Black Lives Matter. And so again, just, you know, these repercussions and these ripples and echoes of similar conversations, similar soul struggles happening again and again. I mean, yeah, there's a, you have a quotation from her from a speech that she gave at a women's rights convention in 1866. And she said, I do not believe that living that giving the woman the ballot is immediately going to cure all the ills of life. You white women speak here of rights. I speak of wrongs. Yes. I mean, if that's not resonant today, you know, I can't, I can't tell you what is. Yeah, completely, completely. She just was so powerful. And I think, I think there was this feeling among some suffragists that because suffrage 
because the suffrage movement was so closely tied to abolition, the abolitionist movement, that the, there should be kind of a feeling of we're on your side, support us and we'll do right by you. And a lot of black women suffragists were like, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so, and as it turns out, it, it's not always the case. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite stories from the book? Um, you know, I really love the story of Mary Church Terrell. You know, mm-hmm. I think that she is someone who we come to realize I had known the phrase lifting as we climb, which was the black women's club slogan. I didn't realize it had come from a speech that she had given in mm-hmm. 1898 um, at a convention of suffrage where she famously said, seeking no favors because of our color and no patronage because of our needs. We knock at the bar of justice asking an equal chance. And, you know, basically after the 15th Amendment passes, there's a huge divide among suffragists because black men... The the 15th Amendment allowing black men the right to vote. Yes. And so black men get the vote before white women, which does not sit well with some white women. But, you know, I think what's so interesting about Mary Church Terrell and black women is this idea of when black women went into political parties in power, they, there was no one they would exclude because they're not excluding anyone by gender. They're not excluding anyone by race or class. And that idea of lifting as we climb, it's really like um, the whole idea of like, we're all bound in this together. And there's just an opening of doors that's I think really important to the movement. And you know, when the movement is ratified on the 18th of 1920, they, in Nashville, it's because of a, a black, a coalition of black and white women working together. It's just very powerful to kind of give these women their place in suffrage. Not that we're doing it exclusively. A lot of people have done this work, but as journalists and in our book, it was exciting for us to realize like we were putting a lot of names back into the story that aren't always taught, aren't always told. Absolutely. Well, and I think another thing you do, which you're not the first to do, but which is still really important, is to remark upon the fact that, yes, women got the right to vote in 1920, but it's still a lot more complicated than that, too. Exactly. So like Mabel Pingwa Lee, who's another one of our characters, she was a woman, a young woman, 16 years old, becomes active in the suffragist movement. She gets her mother involved in it so much so that, you know, there are records of it in the New York papers, the Chinatown papers about how Mabel Pingwa Lee is a like sassy little suffragette. And, um, and now she's got her mother going to meetings too. And yet she knew that because of the Chinese Exclusion Act, she would not be able to vote herself when the 19th Amendment passed. And in fact, she wasn't able to vote. Because... Chinese immigrants were not allowed citizenship. Exactly. And Native Zikala Sa, who's one of the Native American women activists, the same thing until the Snyder Act of 1924. Um, and forgive me if I get some of these dates wrong, but I think I have them right. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're doing great. I wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, I just, it's so funny. It's like the minute you start, start talking about history, you're like, oh my God, the historians are going to come for me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm a journalist. I take notes. Nerds we fact check the book. Yeah, so totally. We do, we do our best. Um, but, you know, I think it wasn't until the um, 
until the Snyder Act of 1924 that Native Americans were given citizenship rights that allowed them to vote. But even after that, there were Jim Crow-like tactics to keep mm -hmm. them away from the polls. And of course, you know, Black people, um, you know, there's a story in the book that's also in our theater piece where literally the night before the election in 1920, the Ku Klux Klan comes, comes to Mary McLeod Bethune's school and tries to get her and her students who are of age not to vote, to threaten them. And, um, and she starts singing a spiritual until they can turn on the floodlights in the school. And when all the lights are turned on and, and people realize that they might be able to be seen and mm -hmm. identified, the clan turns around and leaves. But I guess, you know, a lot of times people ask me, what do you want people to get out of this book? And you think, like, just a simple reminder that our vote is so powerful that three generations of women worked for this. Like from Seneca Falls to 1920, women you know, were activists on behalf of suffrage, labored for this, like with all of their beings and their lives, they died, their daughters became suffragists, they died, their daughters were able to vote. Only one woman who attended Seneca Falls lived to vote in 1920. Whoo, Veronica, I'm going to cry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just, I think that's the other thing is just remi remembering that um, change can be slow and that these were women who really, um, I, I, what struck me is I think the best of suffragists, and I know some people will come for me because they want me to remember that some suffragists were super racist and I'm on the radio and you can't see me, but I'm Afro-Latina, I get it. Um, so <laughs> I know I know how racism like was so much a yeah. part of this movement, but at the okay. same time, I, I, I really can say with as much passion as I can muster that having spent so much time reading these stories that like what really unites the best of these women is that they're futurists. They don't know that this is going to make a difference in their lives. They just know that this is what they want for all women and this is what they want for the country. And I think that's pretty amazing. I'm glad that you mentioned Mary McLeod Bethune because she had another quote that you mentioned in this book that I just thought was really beautiful and that it's so resonant with what you're saying right now which is we've fought for America with all her imperfections, not so much for what she is, but for what we know she can be. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now I'm just going to sit here and cry for a second. Yeah. <laughs> it's really beautiful. Yeah. I think we're still doing that today, right? Yeah. I think, I think we all believe in its potential, which is why we do what we do, right? Yeah. More with Veronica Chambers in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. 
More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. As we're recording this, it's the news of Kamala Harris getting the nomination for VP is very new. And it makes me think of, um, you know, we didn't get to talk as much as we wanted in the book or our coverage about the British suffrage movement. Mm-hmm. You know, Emmeline Pankhurst had that famous quote where she said, you know, suffragists don't break the law just to break the law. They break it because we want to make laws. And I feel like to see a woman get this historic nomination and realize how rare it still is, um, you know, we ha- we, one of the things we thought about doing was a chart, a global chart about that would um, dovetail the dates in which a woman got suffrage in a country and when a woman became the leader of that country. And Mm -hmm. it turned out to be complicated for a lot of reasons. And um, we didn't do it. But, you know, when you think about the challenges we've had with, you know, frankly, getting a woman into the White House of any background um, Mm -hmm. and any party, you think when you realize it's just been 100 years that women have had the vote on paper and really far less than that, when you date it to the Voting Rights Act, you start to realize, wow, we've, we've made incredible strides, but we're still so young in the, um, in the conversation of navigating gender and political power. It's Absolutely. a very new story. Yeah. So yeah, how else do you see Kamala Harris's historic nomination as being kind of the next chapter of finish the fight. I mean, do you think to a certain extent she's going to be helping finish the fight, whether or not she and Biden are elected? Um, you know, I think it's really hard to say that it, that a woman will, what a woman's place in office, how that will be shaped by gender. I, I do think that ultimately I feel like the reaction that I've seen to her nomination feels very much like it, again, the echoes of what we saw when Jeanette Rankin gets elected to Congress in 1918, two years before the 19th Amendment. You know, there's just this feeling of joy when you see women get to inhabit spaces they've never inhabited before. And you realize how hard people fought for them not to be there. That it wasn't just no woman ever did this. It's not just coincidentally an exclusive space. Yeah, it was a lockdown and people battled with their lives and everything they had. Well, obviously we've still got a ways to go, but Veronica, thank you so much for writing this beautiful, important book and for helping fight the good fight. Thank you for reading it and for letting us have such a good Um, conversation about it. I love talking about suffrage. Veronica Chambers, the author of Finish the Fight, the brave and revolutionary women who fought for the right to vote. All right, that's it for today. Our show is produced by me and Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. And remember... In the words of Shirley Chisholm, the first African-American woman elected to Congress, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Or a camping chair. 
or a f-ing stool or just like a cardboard box, you know, like just get in there. Just do it. Just do it. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.